Bibles to Matthew 18. We're going to get there eventually. Matthew 18. But today, I want to start with these questions that you have in your notes. Our struggle in the prison of unforgiveness. Our struggle in the prison of unforgiveness. Think about these questions. Forgive him? Or you could say, forgive her? Are you serious? After what they've done to me, I can never forgive him or her. Or maybe the struggle is this. Forgive me? How could God forgive me? You don't know what I have done. Or maybe it's this. How could I have done such an awful thing? I could never forgive myself. Now, let me ask you. Can you identify with any of those statements? Can you identify with any of these people? You may have never said these things out loud, and you may only think them in the secrets and the quietness in the nighttime as you lay on your bed. They may be the first thoughts that enter your mind when you wake up in the morning. But I think we all have. And some of us, and maybe even most of us still do struggle with these kind of things. You simply can't live life without confronting these kind of questions. And each one of the, these people that are saying these things are talking really about the greatest resource that Christianity has, but it's the rarest commodity. In other words, it's the greatest gift that we have. It's the message that the Nisleys are giving to the Philippines. It's why we just prayed it's why we support, and yet it's the rarest thing that we often give to one another. And because it's so rare, many people are in bondage to bitterness and an unforgiving spirit. And we saw last week in the first lesson in this series, as Christ followers, we have a moral imperative from the Lord to recover, to recover the lost art of forgiveness, to recover the lost art of forgiveness. And that's really what this eight-week series is about. And we are climax it on uh, Palm Sunday and Easter with a focus uh, that I think you're going to enjoy. I like this quote. I saw it this week as I studied. Forgiveness is a freeing, empowering, refreshing, healing, and joyful experience which is capable of transforming all of life. Man, I mean, you're just like, hey, I want to dive in. I want to get in on that. And I hope you want to get in on that. And I know some of you will be set free today by what we're going to study and through this series. So let's look at six symptoms of an unforgiving spirit because we want to be able to identify. We don't want, as we did the three-week series on bitterness, we don't want to be deceived about where we are in our heart. So here's some symptoms of an unforgiving spirit. First of all, you can't stand to be around certain people. You can't stand to be around certain people. Now, we're not talking about having to be best friends, uh, but we're talking about an aversion to people due to unforgiveness or bitterness. We're not talking about having to re-enter into a, an abusive relationship. We're not talking about trusting those who are untrustworthy. But we're talking about an avoidance of people that in your heart you know, if you get honest before God or are confronted with the Word of God, you know 
The avoidance, the aversion is due that I haven't forgiven them. We're talking, and we're talking about a process. We're not talking about, hey, I just got deeply hurt five minutes ago, and to write five minutes later, I'm ready to forgive. We're talking about a process, though, that never finds its completement, uh, its completeness. It never f- finds its fulfillment, its peace in a definite choice to forgive like God in Christ has forgiven us. When the presence of other people begin to influence you to avoid the places that God wants you to be, that's an unforgiving spirit. And a change of place and avoidance of that people will never bring you the peace that that forgiveness will bring. So that's the first symptom. Second, you want to strike out at people when certain subjects are discussed. The topic comes up and boom, your heart just you, you just react. You react emotionally and you react verbally. Uh, you tend to hijack conversations. When others share their story of being hurt or betrayed, you begin to say, well, that's nothing. You ought to hear what they did to me. I mean, ever, have you ever been interacting with people and you're sharing your pain and their pain's always greater pain? Now, that can be a personality thing, but it can also be an unforgiveness thing. Because it stirs up in them the the lack of healing, the lack of forgiveness. It stirs up the experience. Often this happens with floating uh, bitterness. When you share something that maybe as a woman that a man did to you and the person responds, well, all men are like that. Let me tell you about that. You're often looking at unforgiveness. Or if you talk to a man and, and, and you say about how a woman did something to you and, and, and the man reacts, you can never trust a woman. Those generalizations reveal there's something unresolved. Number three, you lose your temper over little things. You lose your temper over little things or, or your anger is way out of proportion to the offense or the irritation. There's a low-level rage or malice or hurt that just keeps erupting, and it erupts at the most unusual times. Often, people with an unforgiving spirit don't realize it. They're deceived by their bitterness, and so they'll get mad, and they'll just kind of like, whoa, what was that? What did I do? I don't even know why I did that. And there is a chronic anger that grows from the failure to forgive, and there is an anger that festers beneath the failure to seek forgiveness and accept forgiveness. And I don't even know how to explain all this. I've experienced it, and some of you can shake your head and say you've experienced it, but the reality is this. When we go against the created order of how God has ordered relationships, we know we're, we're resisting the divine. And that creates a frustration and an anger. Fourth, you struggle with guilt over things that happened in the past. Every new challenge that God presents or every next step in obeying God or discovering His will brings to your mind your past sin or guilt or regret. That's a sign that you have not accepted God's forgiveness of yourself. Fifth, you find yourself hating the ones you should love the most. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. You've, and then six, you find your mental, emotional, and physical health failing for uncommon 
or even undiscoverable reasons. I don't think we even really understand or explore or admit the connection between spiritual issues and physical health. For instance, in Psalm 32, where David talks about not confessing his sin and not receiving forgiveness from God. He says, David, he speaks of his bones wasting away and his strength being sapped. You ever thought maybe the reason you're always exhausted is because internally you have a struggle with unforgiveness. In Psalm 38, David says this, My guilt overwhelmed me. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. You would think he's getting beaten up by someone physically. He's getting beaten up by his guilt. And the Holy Spirit prodding and convicting. In fact, medical researchers, I mean, not even believers, but medical researchers have shown that the experience of receiving forgiveness strengthens the immune system of your body and resisting forgiveness or being unforgiving weakens your immune system. On the other hand, people who have a tendency to hold resentment and a related inability to forgive others are much more likely to develop a range of diseases, including cancer and heart disease. It's like God saying, look, you, your, your heart's diseased spiritually, and I'm going to allow that to open the door to physical disease to get your attention. A failure to forgive others and the accompanying resentment and bitterness also has been reported to be the leading cause of burnout. I think there's a lot of God's people that are burned out and they look for outward causes. And the reality is an unforgiving spirit. Well, last Sunday, if you were here, as we celebrated what God has done with this church and through this church under the name of Glenwood, then you, you heard Randy's testimony. And I asked permission to again. He shared it several times in our down here in our class and and by his own the spirit's leading he chose to share it again last sunday and and just to tell you what that was like a little bit because it's one of the most dramatic uh testimonies of 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 god working that i have ever seen because we're discipling and we're just going to town and there was plenty to talk about ton plenty to work through but we're going along and one day randy just comes and just just kind of confesses I'm getting irritated at my little girls. I'm, I'm scared. I, I don't like what's going on. I said, well, Randy, I, you know, I don't, you know, you're such a nice guy. Isn't Randy such a nice guy? You know, you, you would say, Randy, anger issues? Now, we won't have Esther testify or anything today, but I was like, what's going on? And Randy didn't really know what was going on. But as we talked and just asked questions, and, and as he looked at it, the reality was he had gone through a divorce and, and there was just there was hurt and anger and unforgiveness, and it was just coming out. And I said, now, Randy, you know, there's always two perspectives of how things go. I, you know, it's always interesting to see how other people. It wasn't quite as abrupt as, Aunt Randy, we stop. I will never see you again until you forgive your, your ex-wife. The, the reality, I said, Randy, look, here's the thing. If this is affecting 
your, your relationship with these little girls, and they were little, then this is something that you got to deal with. And so we went through, to be quite honest with you, what we're going to go through in these next eight weeks. We just went through that for a couple weeks, and I said, you know, let me prep you. Here's how you ask. Here's, how, here's what you can expect when you ask forgiveness from someone that it may not go well, but the point is not what they do. It's your responsibility. I, 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 it's what we're going to go through for these next eight weeks. And then I said, but I'm leaving that with you. And, but there really isn't much reason to talk about anything else until this gets resolved. And, and, and I will pray for you. And so we, we kept meeting. And I, you know, how's it going? Have you, have, have, have you had contact? How's that going? And finally, that day came and, and, and he shared what he shared with us last week. And the good news was, well, I, I, and I don't even quite remember, but I don't think it, it, it wasn't a wonderful experience. Let me just say that. There wasn't, you know, heaven didn't come down with the ex-wife. And, and uh, you know, she didn't admire Randy's godly obedience, okay? The point was, Randy was set free. He no longer had an unforgiving spirit. And we could move on growing to become more like Christ. Powerful stuff. So, thanks for responding to God's grace with obedience. As one pastor observed, I've talked with a lot of hurting people over the years. And with few exceptions, they were all solidly in touch with the extent of their sins. Where they needed help was getting in touch with the grace of God. In other words, they had lost the art of being set free by forgiveness. And so I want to help you with that this morning. So here's the first thing we need to do. We've got to look at defining the lost art of forgiveness. We've got to to recover this. We have to look at defining the lost art. Because here's the thing. I think the biggest barrier, apart from the stubbornness of the human heart, the biggest barrier to forgiveness is not understanding it. Because if you, listen, you can't recover, you can't find what you've lost if you don't know what you're looking for. Agreed? Number two, you won't look for what you've lost if you don't think what you're going to find is what you want to find. See, many people think wrong about forgiveness, therefore they don't want anything to do with it. So we're going to eliminate all that right now by the grace of God. Number one. What is forgiveness not? What is it not? Number one, forgiveness is not a feeling. If you wait for the feeling to forgive, you're going to be waiting forever. You're going to be waiting a long, long time. The reality is this. The feelings don't change until you make the decision to forgive. So if you're always waiting, so if you, if you get that reverse, you're never going to do it. It's not a feeling. Now, to be sure... Feelings are involved. Feelings are involved. Our God is a holistic God. He didn't create us to be spirit beings floating out in nothingness. We are mind, soul, and body. And one day, He's going to redeem the entire body, mind, will, and emotions. So emotions are involved. Believe me, negative ones before you forgive, but bless God, wonderful ones after you forgive. I still remember a 17-year-old when on August 19, 1979, which was a Sunday, I got my salvation settled at this church. And that afternoon, I remember sitting 
on a member's couch and just waves of joy and happiness and peace that I hadn't known for 17 Those are the part of forgiveness. Those are a part of forgiveness. But if you rely on things like, I don't feel like God has forgiven me, or I don't feel like forgiving him or her, then you're never going to be set free. I've asked forgiveness once for a sin against another person, and they forgave me, and I'm sure that they forgave me, but I still struggle at times. Did they forgive me? And I feel guilty, and I feel compelled to bring it up. But I preach the gospel to myself, and I operate not on feelings. And, 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 and of course, I, and I even tell the Lord, Lord, if you still lead me to, maybe there's more, you know, that's fine, I'll do that. But it's not them, it's me. It's me, and I just need to recognize, listen, it's not based on how I feel. Did I do what I needed to do? Did I ask, and did they give? And then is it settled? This isn't coming from God. It's coming from, I don't even, and I don't have to worry about where it's coming from. I just need to reject it. Because it's not true. Number two, forgiveness is not forgetting. Now, one of the greatest secular myths, worldly... These are one of those things that people are convinced is in the Bible. And it's not. And that is forgive and forget. But that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. If forgetting equaled forgiveness, then none of us would ever forgive. And that's why some people, I don't want to do it because I, are you telling me to forget that? That was so tragic. That was so real. I mean, come on, let's get on. Let's break through this stuff. Common sanctified sense tells us there's no way that the believer, Corey Timboom, who with her family were arrested during Nazi Germany in Holland and were taken to a concentration camp where her entire family were brutally butchered and murdered. There's no way you can tell me that even though she has forgiven, and we'll talk about the story, she forgave her Nazi captors, there's no way till her dying days she ever forgot being in a concentration camp. Forgiveness is not forgetting. To quickly forget a hurt is to repress it, which is what the big boys call it. I call it stuffing, burying, burying it. And repression does not lead to genuine healing. Forgiveness does does not eliminate or erase your memory like you are a computer hard drive. What it does enable us to do is control our memories and begin to remember them without malice and bitterness and thoughts of revenge. We'll talk more. All Everything we're going to do today, we're going to talk more about in the next six weeks. Number three, forgiveness is not excusing or denying. You know, too often you tell someone to forgive and you're like, well, what do you mean? I mean, are, are you, gonna, you know, are we just supposed to excuse that? Or are we supposed to pretend that didn't happen? No, excusing is what naturally happens when you don't ask forgiveness in the right way. When you don't go about this in the right way and someone, the world's way is the apology. And the world's way is to say, hey, I'm sorry. And when people just say, I'm sorry, what's our natural reaction to someone saying, I'm sorry? What? It's okay. But it's not okay. Okay? Or, that's all right. It doesn't matter. I mean, we, the, the apology draws out of us things that we even say, and we've all done it, and we know we shouldn't say it. We excuse, we deny. 
When someone says, I'm sorry, we say, oh, that's okay. It was nothing. You don't have to apologize. You didn't really do anything wrong. You couldn't help it. But forgiveness is the opposite of excusing. The very fact that forgiveness is needed and granted indicate that something someone did was wrong and inexcusable. Forgiveness actually says this. We both know what you did was wrong and, and, and without excuse. But since God has forgiven me of the inexcusable, I can forgive you. That's important, right? I said right there. And forgiveness does not mean the other person gets off scot-free or that we excuse their behavior, their betrayal, their abuse. We need to understand the real source of everyone's sinful behavior is a fallen, depraved nature. And we're all sinners and we're all capable of the worst. No one's done anything. Listen, if you as a Christian think someone has done something to you that you're not capable of, you don't understand your sin. But just because we're all capable of it doesn't mean we excuse or deny what has been done. There's more I could say. I must move on. Forgiveness is not ignoring. Forgiveness is not ignoring. Here's another uh, common myth. Time heals all wounds, to which as a class we say baloney together. Time heals all wounds. Baloney. Okay. I may attempt to ignore the feelings or even the person who hurt me, but pretending it didn't happen or minimizing it in my thinking isn't the way to be healed of it. In fact, to ignore or overlook a wrong is an attempt to change reality. Forgetting is passive, but forgiveness is an active process. Finally, the last one that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not necessarily trusting. Again, if you ask someone to forgive someone and they equate forgiveness with, you mean I've got to trust them? No, that's not what forgiveness is not trusting. And it's not necessarily reconciling. But it's a step in that direction. None of that will happen if you don't first forgive But just because you forgive doesn't mean that has to happen. One can genuinely forgive someone without offering unconditional trust in the package. Forgiveness is a gift, but trust is earned. You have to rebuild and gain back that trust. And sometimes that trust can never be rebuilt. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't forgive. Forgiving doesn't mean you become BFFs with the guy that raped your daughter. Okay, that's not biblical forgiveness. But that's what people think. They think, oh, if I've got to forgive them, then then I've got to, like, you know, become best friends with them. No, no. It doesn't mean every relationship will ever be reconciled or restored to what it is. Now, look at what it says there in your notes. Forgiveness is hard enough work, as we're going to see, without assuming the fruitless burden of unbiblical definitions and impossible expectations. In fact, understanding what forgiveness is not actually lightens the burden. It helps you move towards forgiveness. So that's what it's not. Now, what is it? So let's take a look at this. What forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a decision with four factors. First and foremost, I can't say it any simpler, forgiveness is a decision. As we're going to see in a moment, it's a choice we make. 
And, and, and I've given you a definition. I don't expect you to remember these. I, I've, I've got other ways for you to remember this. But here's as, as biblical and precisely the decision to set someone free from an obligation to you that is a result of a wrong done against you, a real wrong, with the promise to never remember it against them in the future. So let me show you these four factors. They're right there for you in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, we have the ultimate, one of the ultimate explanations of forgiveness. And like all the best passages in the Bible on forgiveness, it shows that there's a vertical element with the Lord and a horizontal element with one another. So let's look at verse 21. Chapter 18, let's look at verse 21. Then Peter... And thank God for Peter, because he's just saying what we'd all like to say, but we wouldn't say it in public. Then Peter came and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive them up to seven times. And, and, and the religious guys of the day said three. So, you know, you know, Peter's like, I'm, I'm looking good here. I just doubled it and added one. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, you know, what Jesus is saying is, oh, you've heard, you know, you're listening to human wisdom. Let me give you divine wisdom. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven times. Now, he didn't get out a smartphone and his calculator to figure out, no, that's not the point. The point is, there's no end to forgiveness. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. You see, the whole talk of forgiveness in the Bible is the talk of owing a debt, incurring a debt, owing someone, and then paying back that debt or them forgiving you of that debt, canceling that debt. So he says, it can be prepared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents, which was an enormous amount, was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, which, by the way, none of us do, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children. Forgiveness issues always impact others. And all that he had and repayment had to be made. God expects repayment. 26. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated, I have to say that right, prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Now you could write out to your margin, that's repentance. That's confession. That's owning the wrong. And the Lord of the slave, thank God we have a heart, a, a king with a heart of compassion, felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. He forgave him the debt and he released him of the imprisonment and the torture and the suffering of the prison that he rightly deserved. But that slave, but, 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 now see, we want to end it right there. Woohoo, I'm forgiven. Now I can treat people any way I want because God has to forgive me. That is a false gospel, and that's an idolatrous view of God and is not the true God because the parable goes on, verse 28. But that slave went out and find, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. 
Okay, so here's this humongous that he owed the king in this tiny little mount. Now, why is he out there doing this? Because this guy never really received forgiveness. You know what he's going to do? I'm going to take it from others and I'm going to repay. See, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to repay. So he's not accepting the free gift. And he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. Same words that the king used. So the fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Same words he said to the king. But, verse 30, he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. He took him hostage. He made him a hostage. And when he did that, he made himself the greater hostage. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that happened. Listen, we have recourse when we have to be dealing with unforgiving people. And God's people have recourse to the king. And the other, said, the other slave said, this slave is not responding. We're going to the king. And they went to the king. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger. See, there's the biblical God that is misrepresented and distorted by American Christianity. He is a God of mercy and anger. And he offers abundant, undeserving, unconditional forgiveness, but that changes hearts. And when hearts aren't changed, they haven't really received forgiveness. And when they haven't received forgiveness, there's only one response, and that is anger, judgment, and wrath. And he said, he handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And then Jesus puts the exclamation point on it my heavenly father will also do the same to you peter you james you john if each of you does not forgive his brothers from your heart we had better recover this lost art would you agree now when you look at that story you see there's four factors in that story number one confessing that a wrong has been done. That's in verses 25 and 26. Confessing that a wrong has been done. Number two, understanding that a debt is now owed. I've wronged you, therefore I owe you. It's really simple. I did you wrong, therefore I'm indebted to you and you have that on me. That's verse 26. Three, choosing to cancel the debt that is owed. That's forgiveness. Canceling a debt. In fact, we still use this terminology of, oh, hey, we're going to forgive your loan. And we all say, woohoo! You know, never had that happen, but it's a wonderful thought. But spiritually, it can happen, right? Amen? And that's in verse 27. And then in verses 32 and 33, that canceling is called forgiving and it's called mercy. 
Okay, so it's canceling something that's really owed. And then four, keeping a promise. Keeping a promise to never come back for later payment. And, 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 and that's in verse 27. The king released him. The problem is he never really accepted the forgiveness. His, his heart never was changed. So the king's not going back on his promise. The fact is the slave never received the gift. And when you don't receive the gift, when, when, when you turn your back on grace, there's only wrath. There's only wrath. So, let me sum this up. Let me give you three things. Forgiveness is a choice we make. Forgiveness is a choice we make. What is forgiveness? It's a choice we make in spite of feelings, without forgetting, without excusing, without denying, without ignoring. It may or may not result in trusting again or actually reconciling, but it's a choice we make, number one. Secondly, forgiveness is a gift we give. It's not something someone deserves. The fact that we're giving it is revealing the fact that they haven't earned it, okay? The fact that they owe us, the, the fact that they've wronged us, means they don't deserve it. But if you only give people what they deserve, that's not mercy, Okay? If they've earned it, then you have to give. You're in you're indebted to them because you have to give them what they earned. People don't earn forgiveness. That's a gift. That's why it's called mercy in this passage. Number 3, forgiveness is a promise we make. Forgiveness is a promise we make. Uh, we did a series once in our class of uh, the 1 Corinthians 13, what love is. And I'll never forget this one aspect. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Or I like how the NIV puts it. Love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love is not a list maker. Or if you look at the message paraphrase, love doesn't keep score of sins of others. Love does, is not a list maker or a scorekeeper. And I love this story. I mean, I you know... I, the, 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 the guy's having marriage problems, so he goes to the pastor and says, look, every time we argue, my wife goes historical. And the pastor says, don't you mean hysterical? And he said, no, I mean historical. Man, she tells me everything I've ever done, every wrong I've ever committed. That's the list-making, scorekeeping mentality. And that is an unforgiving spirit. So here's the promise we make. We don't make a promise to forget. We make a promise to not remember the wrong against the person. And so, again, we're going to talk about all this stuff more. But I'm just introducing the aspects of what forgiveness is. So here's the promise. I won't bring it up to the person to use it against them. I'll never forget it necessarily. Over time, Here's the thing. If you truly forgive, over time you tend to forget because you're not rehearsing it. But there's some things that you'll never forget. But you don't remember it against the person. Number two, I won't bring it up to others to use against them. So it doesn't mean you can't uh, have a, you know, we, we, we've, we've numerous times Randy has shared this testimony, but we're not using it against the person. And then number three, I won't bring it up to myself. That's where the real struggle is to use against them. And then number four, I won't let it be an obstacle 
to viewing them the way God has viewed me. In other words, I'm not going to take my offender and put him in the category of a forever abuser. I'm not going to put my offender in a category of the unforgivable. No, God doesn't do that to us, and we don't do that to others when we've truly forgiven them. I like what how one guy put it. Forgiveness is a hard work miracle. In other words, this kind of forgiveness is only a work of God, but it's a work that we have to cooperate with. It is a hard work miracle. So, let me hit, let me hit these, and we'll hit it next week. Here's the key. Once you've defined it, the key is discerning who is the real hostage in forgiveness. Because here's the thing. We think by not forgiving... See, he went and choked that guy that owed him. I'm going to get it out of you. But who ended up in jail? The unforgiving person. What happened to the other slaves? They, were, they went on and enjoyed life. In fact, they never did have to repay him because he's in prison. So who's the real hostage here? Who really needs to set, for, set you free? So let me give you... What happens when you choose not to forgive? We'll hit this again uh, in, in the weeks to come. We feel rejected and resentful. We feel rejected and resentful. And when we're wronged and we let that settle in our heart, number two, we choose to withhold acceptance or whatever we think that person wants from me. So if you're a spouse, sometimes that's sex. That might be conversation. You know, the cold treatment, the cold war, right? Okay, okay no, we don't have time for commentary. <laughs> we withhold acceptance. Number three. We wait for conditions to be met. See, we hold that person hostage. I have you hostage, and until you meet my demands, I won't give you what you want. And number four, we become a bitter root. We become a bitter root. So let me me end with this. Let me give you these blanks. Five reasons the unforgiving is the real hostage. Five reasons. And we'll explore these more next week. The unforgiving are held hostage by their own sinfulness. They're held hostage by their own... Listen, I don't care how you explain it. I don't care how you define it. Unforgiveness is of the flesh. And it's not a work of the Spirit. Number two, the unforgiving are held hostage by their own bitterness. Man, I'm going to punish that person. And the reality is I'm punishing these people that I love. That's what Randy experienced. Number three, unforgiving are held hostage by their own fearfulness. The reason we often don't forgive is we're afraid of the process. And I'm hoping that in the weeks to come, the Spirit's going to take that fear and replace it with love. Number four, the unforgiving are held hostage by our own foolishness. Listen, when we start thinking like the world towards one person, we begin thinking that way in our life. And that's why going to your coworkers who are unsaved or unchurched for advice on relationships is the absolute worst thing you can do because their pattern of thinking is of the world. And what they're doing in giving you advice are often often justifying their own mistakes and failures. That's a wonderful thought. And then finally, the unforgiving are held hostage by their own hardness. 
And I could say stubbornness, maliciousness, spitefulness, meanness, unkindness, resentfulness, vindictiveness. Here's the good news. You can be set free. You can be set free. But it begins with the choice. And I would challenge you today, make that choice today. And and, and just say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what this means. And it scares the bejeebies out of me. And to be honest with you, I'm beginning to wonder if I've ever even understood forgiveness. And it seems overwhelming. But Lord, you're a king of compassion and justice. And I want to be right with you. So I'm just going to choose. I'm going to recover. I'm going to be for this series. In these next weeks, I'm going to come. And I'm not going to let Satan discourage me. I'm not going to let my fears keep me back. I'm going to recover the lost art. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I pray for your spirit to do what only you can do. There is so much here. There's so much. But Lord, you can break through and people can be set free. Lord, I don't want to go around choking people, demanding the little wrong that they did to me. When you have forgiven me an eternal truckload of sins, most of which I'm not even aware of, and many of which... I haven't even yet committed. Lord, you've shown such mercy to me. Let me manifest your heart. Let me be like your son. Let me depend on your spirit's power to set the prisoners free. And in doing so, Lord, thank you for setting me free. I pray for each person that we will make this decision. And we will see some glorious miracles that are going to be hard work, but they're going to be miracles and you will get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.